from the authors of Author Masterminds. This is Mysterious. Mystery surrounds us every day. Join us and listen to true stories of mystery, from human behavior to nature and the physical environment to paranormal experiences. The stories are true, even if we can't explain them. Hello, I'm Victoria Hardesty, author of Action and Adventure with Arabian Horses. I'm also a member of the Author Masterminds group producing this podcast. I have a mystery to tell you. This is the story of a tall, gorgeous thoroughbred horse. If he could talk, it would be interesting to hear about the many miles he put on American roads and highways. We know he crossed the entire continent twice and went halfway one additional time. He also went to various horse racing tracks in mid-America as a youngster. He probably put more miles behind him than many of us who drive. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The way to go is a thoroughbred born at the Oklahoma School of Horseshoeing in early 1996. Jesse Trotter, a well-known racehorse trainer in Oklahoma, bought the yearling at the Heritage Auction in Oklahoma City and gelded him before putting him on the track for training. He regretted his decision to geld the horse long into his 80s, but he could still tell you chapter and verse about the young horse's accomplishments despite his personal difficulties with dementia. The Way to Go raced 19 times between 1998 and 2000, earning over $82,000 with three firsts, two seconds, and six third-place finishes. He won one stakes race and placed in three others. For those who don't understand horse racing, a win means the horse came in first, a place means the horse came in second, and a show means the horse came in third. A stakes race is one where the owner-trainer enters the horse in a race by paying a substantial fee for the nomination. The purse comprises the nomination fees of all horses entered, plus additional money from the track based on wagering on that race. The way to go's temperament, willingness to work hard, and gentle disposition were legendary at the Remington Park racetrack in Oklahoma City with his trainer, exercise riders, grooms, and jockeys. When Mr. Trotter retired the horse from racing, he sold him to a local family he knew would care for him. A few years later, a young man named Tom, attending Farrier Training School in upstate New York, came across an ad for a 17 two-hand thoroughbred for sale. He answered the ad and went to see the horse. For those who don't know much about horses, each hand is four inches and the dot two signifies an additional two inches. The horse is measured from the ground to the shoulder. So that horse was nearly six feet tall at the shoulder and weighed over 1,250 pounds. His size initially intimidated Tom, but he noticed his gentle disposition and bought him anyway. He called his new horse Nassau. Tom taught that giant horse how to cut cows and rope cows. The interesting thing about cutting and roping cows with a thoroughbred is that they are fast, but generally not as heavily built in the fore and hindquarters as the American Quarter Horse, the breed used most often for those events. 
Thoroughbreds are hot-blooded horses that are taller, longer, and designed for speed and endurance. They are built to run a mile and an eighth around an oval track, making left-hand turns only, and still have a kick past the quarter pole to finish to the finish line. Racing quarter horses only race a quarter mile before they run out of steam, always in a straight line. Quarter horses are warm-blooded, shorter, and more compact horses, averaging between 14 and 15 two-hands and as heavy as 1,100 pounds. They were bred for ranch work. In cutting competition, the rider sits on the horse holding on to the saddle horn. The horse does all the work. The quarter horses use their hind ends for stability while their front end swerves left or right or forward to block a calf desperately trying to get back to its herd for safety. In roping competition, the calf has a head start on the horse and runs as fast as possible to stay away from the horse and rider. In contrast, the horse chases it until it gets close enough for the rider to swing a lasso over the calf's head to catch it. The rider ties the rope to the saddle horn while the horse keeps the rope taut so the rider can jump off, run to the calf, lay it on its side, and tie three of its legs together. Despite his size, Nassau was versatile and athletic enough to do all of that well. Tom rode Nassau alone and in groups on trail rides around the stables. He put Nassau in parades in the local area. Tom and Nassau became ambassadors for the off-the-track thoroughbreds in upstate New York. Several years later, tragedy struck for Tom, and he had to move back home to Massachusetts to help his parents. He couldn't find a decent place to board Nassau near his family home. He was forced to sell the horse in New York. He found Nassau a new home there with a lovely family. He kept in touch with them weekly by phone and promised to return and repurchase Nassau as soon as he was able. Six months later, the family disappeared off the face of the earth. Tom couldn't find them anywhere. He was devastated and grieved for his horse for five long years before he finally came to terms with the probability that Nassau passed away. This podcast is sponsored by the Author Masterminds, who also sponsor the Readers and Writers Book Club. If you enjoy inspiring stories about horses, you might enjoy my books. The following is from my novel, Freedom. Freedom was abused and betrayed by every human he came in contact with as a young horse. Despite his promise to his mother to grow up and be a good horse, he distrusted all humans while harboring the hope he would find his heart human someday. Nathan was born with autism. He was brilliant, but lacked the skill to communicate. His parents tried many forms of therapy to help their son and couldn't find one that worked for him. He grew up isolated, passing his time on a computer learning about things he'd never be able to do. Freedom's owner donated him to a therapeutic writing center. Nathan's mother got an invitation to a fundraiser for that center and investigated equine therapy for her son. Something finally worked for Nathan. Then Nathan met Freedom and the magic happened. Nathan wanted to ride the Tevis Cup ride, the toughest 100 miles in one day ride in the world. Freedom's previous owner conditioned Freedom for that ride before she donated him. 
Four new friends stepped up to help join the horse with the boy and help them make their dreams come true. My books are available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online bookstores. A few years later, Dottie in Nevada called a local horse ranch about riding horses. The owner invited her to the ranch to look his stock over. Just as she arrived at the ranch, the rancher received a phone call and had to leave. He told her to go ahead and look at his horses, but to avoid the one in the outside paddock with an eye problem. He told Dottie he planned to shoot the horse when he returned home. Dottie looked through his barns and saw the ranch horses before looking at the large brown horse in the outside paddock. She was horrified by what she saw. One side of his face was oozing from his eye to the end of his nose. She raced back to the barn tack and feed room, searching for anything she could use to clean up and treat the horse. The horse was quiet and cooperative with her despite the obvious pain he was in and the fact he'd never seen her before. She cleaned up a space and found some ointment to put above and below the injured eye. To her, it looked like the horse suffered from vegetation that poked into that eye and festered into a full-blown infection from lack of care. When the rancher returned, Dottie gave him a piece of her mind about his plan to shoot the horse. He finally gave up and gave the horse to her. She put him at her in-law's place and got a vet and continued treating his eye. It healed, but the infection blinded him in that eye from lack of early treatment, a simple antibiotic ointment. A few weeks later, Dottie was talking to a new friend she met online in a horse rescue group who lived in Granby, Massachusetts. Dottie told Emmy about her new horse. Dottie told Emmy a couple of things that struck a chord with Emmy. She asked if Dottie had pictures of her new horse she could send her. Dottie sent several images of Buster Brown, as she called him. Emmy showed the pictures to her boyfriend, Tom, when he got home from work that day. He teared up. It was his Nassau. He was comforted by the fact Nassau was alive and well, but couldn't understand how he got to Nevada. Dottie searched for information about where Buster Brown came from. She found a hunter-jumper barn in Reno that sent him to auction. The owner-trainer did not like thoroughbreds because of their reputation as high-strung racing horses. She was a warm-blood person. She preferred a horse bred for eventing, jumping, and dressage. She also thought warm-bloods were a more elegant breed of horse. She bought the horse at auction, believing him to be a warm-blood. When someone in the barn found his racing tattoo on his upper lip, she sent him right back to auction. That tattoo proved he was a thoroughbred. The rancher picked up the horse for next to nothing. Dottie and Emmy worked with the horse rescue in California to raise the money to transport the horse back to Massachusetts. The horse went to the rescue in California for several months while they fundraised for his trip. Emmy never told Tom about their plans for Nassau. Nassau, a.k.a. Buster Brown, left California on February 5, 2014 after an early breakfast and a thorough brushing. The people at the rescue kissed his nose and wished him a good journey. They knew it would be a long trip home, and several volunteers were attached to Buster Brown because of his sweet temperament. They shed a few tears, but were happy for the horse. He arrived in Massachusetts late on February 12th after a harrowing haul 
the rain, snow, ice, hailstorms, etc. Tom had business out of town that week and returned home on February 14th. Emmy insisted on a trip to the stable where she kept her horse. Tom said NASA was the best Valentine's Day gift he ever received. If horses had the gift of speech, what tales would the way to go, Nassau, Buster Brown, tell? From his genesis on the windswept plains of Oklahoma to the hustle and bustle of mid-American racetracks, then inexplicably to a forsaken paddock in Nevada, the horse's journey is laced with questions that tantalize and confound. How and when did he travel from Oklahoma to upstate New York? What became of the family in New York who vanished like mist leaving Tom with years of unanswered sorrow. How did Nassau find himself in a hunter-jumper barn in Reno, Nevada, to be scorned for his breed and passed to a rancher so careless of his fate? His travels from Oklahoma to the East Coast and then across the length and breadth of the continent to California before returning to the arms of a man whose love never waned hint at a saga of loss, mystery, and serendipity. It's as if NASA were a sailing ship on uncharted waters propelled by the winds of fate to distant ports, only to finally anchor in the harbor of Tom's enduring love. If horses could talk, the secrets they'd reveal might be as intricate and labyrinthine as the trails and hearts they've left their hoofprints on. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Mysterious. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you again.